Denver Broncos cheerleaders, and you're listening to Sports Crunch with DCROM. Are. This is Sports Crunch with D-Crom. I'm your host, David Cromwell. My right-hand man, Hal Bent, is off this week, and taking his place is distinguished friend of the program and one of the best football minds on the planet, the one and only Mark Schofield of the USA Today Touchdown Wire. And Mark, before we begin, let me tell our listeners that five weeks into this 2021 NFL season, we have had a record 19 games. Let me say that again. 19 games with a game-winning score that occurred in either the final minute of regulation or overtime. The NFL couldn't have asked for a better start to the season, at least in terms of the on-field product, could it, Mark? No, David, absolutely not. It's great to be back with you. And I think what's been amazing about this season, obviously, like you said, the games have been very good. The 19 games decided the way they've been. The primetime games, the island games have been great. I mean, even two weeks ago, right, we got Jaguars, Bengals on Thursday night, and people were thinking, oh, man, this is not going to be a good game, right? It was a fantastic game. It was an absolutely fantastic game. You know, you had the craziness that was Seattle uh, against the Rams last Thursday night. Obviously, the Monday night game we just got out of with, with the Ravens, the Colts, that comeback, Lamar Jackson doing some impressive things. The Island games have been great. The regular games have been great. I mean, last Sunday, that 1 p.m. slate, the way that ended up, um, on the East Coast, that early slate of games was fantastic. So the NFL has to be extremely happy. The numbers are up, viewership is up. And so the on-the-field product has been fantastic so far this year. Indeed. And another thing the NFL has to be happy about, no significant COVID outbreaks uh, in any team so far. Yeah. And uh, fans are coming to the stadiums en masse. And uh, it appears no COVID outbreaks have occurred there either. So uh, another bright spot for the NFL. Absolutely. I mean, obviously it's great to have fans back in the stadiums. The environment has been fantastic for all of these games. And, you know, so far knocking on wood here, the, the NFL has been able to avoid any COVID outbreaks with teams or with fans. Indeed. And uh, I'll continue to knock on wood for that as well. I personally went to the bears lions game just a couple weeks ago, and I'm going to the Raiders Broncos game this Sunday. So, uh, I can attest that it feels so good to be back in full stadiums and the fact that it's safe to do so right now, it just, it's a great feeling. I just uh, can't explain it in great detail. It just, it's just so good. And uh, now let's talk about week five for a moment. What were your main takeaways from what we just saw last week in the NFL? I mean, the biggest one for me is, is Lamar Jackson. Um, the performance for Lamar Jackson on Monday night, three in- incompletions, three touchdown passes in the second half in overtime. I mean, that's just incredible. Um, the growth we've seen from Lamar Jackson, who has always been, even dating back to his days at Louisville, a very good quarterback. But to see some of the strides that he's made, you know, he's checking off all the things he can't do, right? They could have come back from a two-point deficit, a two-score deficit. Well, He's done that multiple times now this season. Did it twice in that comeback against the Ravens, and then you're down 25-9 against Indianapolis to have that kind of comeback. He can't make throws in the pocket. He's doing that well. He can't manipulate defenders. He's doing that extremely well. Lamar Jackson is checking so many boxes right now as a quarterback. He's certainly a bona fide MVP candidate. So that was a massive storyline. The Browns-Chargers game, you know, maybe that was the game of the week, too. Um, if you wanted to pick that one as your game of the week, I, you won't get pushback from me. Brandon Staley is a sort of 
you know, the next evolution of young offensive minded, analytically minded head coaches going forward on fourth down, knowing early in the game, that look, we need to get touchdowns. We can't finish drives with punts. We can't finish drives with field goals. We're going to go for it a fourth and seven early in the game if we have to, and we're going to convert it because we've got a guy we can trust in Justin Herbert. So I thought that game was fantastic. Another game that stood out to me, look, you look at what we're seeing right now from the Buffalo Bills. Uh, a fantastic team on both sides of the football. The defense, they could slow down high-powered offenses. Leslie Frazier is doing some good stuff on the defensive side of the ball. Josh Allen has sort of rounded into form again. It was a weird stat line for Allen. He only had the 15 completions, but hit on some huge throws in that game. And it's hard for me right now to see it, to say that there's a team better in the AFC than the Buffalo Bills. And the Buffalo Bills schedule softens considerably going forward. They are definitely in the driver's seat for that number one seed in the AFC playoff picture. And my week five takeaways, it's essentially essentially what you said. Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Kyler Murray, Justin Herbert, Dak Prescott, and Tom Brady at 44 years young are all making very, very, very strong cases to be 2021 NFL MVP. I can't recall at this point of the season where the race for NFL MVP was as wide open as it is right now. Seriously, you have like um, those six guys I mentioned all neck and neck with each other. Absolutely. And, you know, it's amazing, David, the way you sort of walk through it there. You have all these young quarterbacks, guys that are under 30, under 29, 28, some guys, Lamar's 24. And then you have Tom Brady at 44, who is playing. I, you, you can make the case that Tom Brady right now is playing some of the best football of his entire career. You watch that game against Miami, the touchdown on the crossing concept to Antonio Brown, where he has a guy in his face, takes a huge hit, but makes an incredible throw. But one of the touchdowns he had to Mike Evans, where, you know, Miami does a really good job on this play of disguising the coverage. They send their guy in motion, defender trails them. Brady's probably thinking it's man coverage. They spin it to zone coverage at the snap. He's able to read it, react to it, make the right read, strong throw on the post route to Mike, Mike Evans for a catch and run touchdown. Brady's healthy. He knows the offense. I said before this season, Dave, when I was on with you and with others that look, Brady might have, have a, one of the best years of his career, you know, and certainly perhaps his best year down in Tampa. We're seeing that right now because he's healthy. He knows the offense and yeah, you've got all these young quarterbacks, the next generation of passers that are putting up incredible numbers. Tom Brady's doing the same. He sure is. And we will get back to those quarterbacks in just a little bit, but first let's talk about the elephant in the room for the NFL right now. And that is the story that came this week out of Las Vegas as John Gruden resigned as head coach of the Raiders after numerous emails of him making racist, misogynistic, and homophobic slurs were uncovered by the New York Times. Although it is refreshing to see John Gruden gone, the prevailing sentiment is that this is just the tip of the iceberg as many powerful decision makers around the NFL harbor such attitudes. How can we, as fans, reporters at all, continue to hold the league accountable and force them to reveal and expel more of these bad apples. Yeah, David. I mean, this is certainly, like you said, the elephant in the room. And I, I think you're right in the sense, this is just the tip of the iceberg, 650,000 emails as part of an investigation into Washington, you know, and that's how this began, right? An investigation into an abusive work environment created within the Washington football team from Dan Snyder on down. And, you know, you see the people that were recipients of some of these emails, Bruce Allen, for example, and you wonder, you know, what's the next sort of shooter drop? What's the next sort of discovery that's going to come out of these emails? I know that 
there's been a push to the NFLPA has asked that all of these emails, as well as the Wilkerson investigation file, which was never released as a result of the investigation into Washington's sort of abusive practices, be released so people could see exactly what was done. You know, we've read stories about, you know, the way people were treated, the way reporters, female reporters were treated in and around that locker room, in and around that organization. And also, let's not forget, in addition to all the things you outlined about these emails, there were also topless images of Washington cheerleaders that were shared in these emails as well. And so let's not forget that, that there is an entire cycle of abusive behavior identified in these emails. The league has to be open about this. I know that there's perhaps some reluctance about it. I know some people have said that, look, the league is going to do everything they can to let these see the light of day, but people on the outside, people in the media need to keep pushing lawyers involved, you know, the NFLPA, that have been pushing for the release of these emails need to keep doing that. We can't let this go. We can't let this be the end of it. This is a story that needs to see the light of day. Sunlight's the best, you know, the best disinfectant. These need to see the light of day. This hit home for me personally. Uh, I have a lesbian cousin and hearing uh, the way John Gruden made those homophobic remarks about not welcoming uh, uh, LGBTQ players into the NFL hit home with me there. And you mentioned the the cheerleader images that hit home with me as well. Uh, you know me, Mark. And for those of you that listen to this podcast uh, and listen to my uh, women in sports series over the summer, one of the big reasons I do this podcast is because I've developed friendships with NFL cheerleaders over the years. That's how I met my good friend, Romy Bean. She started out in the sports world as a cheerleader for the Broncos for seven seasons. And and the, the, my relationship with these cheerleaders, it's been a healthy friendship that has empowered me to do what I do with this podcast. And to hear that cheerleaders have been treated like dirt by some organizations just sickens me to death personally, because it's important to know NFL cheerleaders, it's just a part-time job for these women. A lot of these women who cheerlead for NFL teams, and I know this for a fact, I know three of them currently with the Broncos who are full-time nurses who risked everything for us during the COVID-19 pandemic. And the fact that an NFL franchise treats them like they're circus freaks is just immoral. It's disgusting. It's beyond reprehensible. I want to know the facts. I want to know how these women are being treated in the NFL. I want to know the full truth because if the NFL is treating too many of these women like dirt, they should be ashamed of themselves and we should shame them into telling us the truth about it. This cannot go undercover for too long. That's absolutely right. That's extremely well said, David. I obviously don't have anything to add. You kind of nailed it right there. Yes, we're definitely going to keep talking about this on this program in the years ahead, because uh, I feel it is our obligation as men to make our sisters in the sports world and beyond feel empowered. And the NFL cannot claim to be an empowering force for women if it continues to treat its cheerleaders and its female reporters like that. It's disgusting and it has to stop And We are going to continue to call them out on this, regardless of what they try to do to try to hide the evidence from us. You're not going to hide the evidence from us for that long, NFL. We're going to find you. And uh, now let's go back to football as in the on-field product and play a little game called this or that. And in this game, I uh, pose a question with two possible choices and you uh, make a choice and explain why you made that decision. And we start in the NFC. Who is a more legitimate Super Bowl contender, the Cowboys or the Cardinals? That's a fascinating question, David. I mean, two of these teams are playing extremely well right now. I think what we've seen from the Arizona Cardinals 
the way that that defense has evolved, the way that Kyler Murray has evolved, I would say that sitting here right now, the Cardinals are the more serious Super Bowl contender out of the NFC. Now, what could pose a problem for them, they will have a tougher schedule, right? The NFC West is going to be a tougher division. You've got the Rams to contend with. You've obviously got the Seahawks to contend with. You've got the 49ers to contend with. You look at the East right now, the Giants are struggling. The Eagles are struggling. Washington's struggling. You know, so the Cowboys might have an easier schedule, but the Cardinals look like the more complete team. And so I'm going to say the Arizona Cardinals. Oh, that is a very, very interesting point. Now, it definitely looks the Cardinals are that way right now, but uh, the schedule going forward for them, as you said, is tough in a tougher division. And uh, the Cowboys have a chance to surpass them uh, in the next several weeks indeed. Which head coach is more likely to get fired at season's end? Urban Meyer or Vic Fangio? Wow. I mean, I would say Urban Meyer. I still think that, look, you know, the behavior off the field, the questions about how he's handling that locker room, you know, we'll see how that team sort of responds in the next couple of weeks. Right. But I I still think that Meyer might be gone by Halloween, let alone the end of the season. I I think Fangio is an interesting, you know, an idea, but when you look at the fact that, look, that defense has still played pretty well, you know, the offense has questions about the quarterback position, which we knew, and they made the decision not to draft a quarterback and maybe hindsight being what it is. You would have loved to have Justin Fields. You would have loved to maybe have Mac Jones with that, with the weapons you have on that offensive side of the football. I think Fangio is going to still, he's going to get another shot. So I think it's urban Meyer. Yeah. It's going to be fascinating to see what they do in both Jacksonville and Denver with both coaches on increasingly hot seats. And let's talk about the NFC East for a moment. The Cowboys are hands down the favorite in that division, but there have been some bright spots for a couple other teams at quarterback. Who is more likely to grow into a franchise quarterback? Is it my man, Steely Dan, as in Daniel Jones or Jalen Hurts? Oh, this is a really tough question. And I think, look, we're three years into the Daniel Jones experience, right? And while I think that Daniel Jones does some things well in the passing game, particularly in the vertical passing game, he looks much more comfortable attacking downfield. I think the fact that we're just eight games into the sort of Jalen Hurts experience makes me think that the answer here is Jalen Hurts because they're starting to figure out what he can do well. They're starting to figure out what concepts he runs best. I think when they decide we're going to go more tempo use more tempo to that offense he's very comfortable in empty formations he's very comfortable when they go no huddle or use tempo i think nick sirianni is figuring out look you know i've got the things that i can call for jalen hurts i've got the designs and the ways to use him figured out they're going to grow together as player and coach on the flip side i think dave gettleman is really on the hot seat and you start to wonder, look, if they make a change at GM, you get a new GM coming in. Does he want to go in a different direction at the quarterback position, which might sort of see Daniel Jones on his way out of town? And so I think Jones, we're in year three. We kind of know what he is. Hurts is still figuring it out with a brand new head coach. Obviously, the fly in the ointment could be this. Eagles might have three of the top 10 picks. They might have three of the top like nine, eight, seven picks. And so, look, you could certainly just see a scenario where they draft a quarterback. But the question is, David, who are you going to draft? Like sitting here right now, you look at this next quarterback class, it's got a lot of issues. And so I think Philadelphia might decide that, look, young head coach, young quarterback, Jalen Hurts, we're going to roll with it. So I think it's Jalen Hurts. Very, very good point. And last but not least, we conclude this or that on the defensive side of the ball. Which defensive rookie has been more impressive? Is it Micah Parsons or his fellow Penn State Nittany Lion, Odafe Owe? <sighs> Man, Parsons has been fascinated because he's basically played 
two different positions, right? They started him off as a stack linebacker. They had some injuries, so they put him down at the edge. They've moved him around a bit, and he certainly played well. But Owe has been game-changer type of player, right? Their win against Kansas City, it was his forced fumble. Some of the stuff they did this past week, Monday night, it was his ability to get to the quarterback, his ability to impact plays, both in the run game and the passing game. And so I'm going to say Owe is, for my pick, the better rookie defender right now. I actually agree with you. He was my pick for defensive rookie of the year at the quarter poll last week uh, for the reason alone that nobody, and I mean nobody, expected him to be this good this soon. Everybody thought Parsons would make a strong impact uh, sooner rather than later, right. but nobody was expecting and Owe. That's why Owe got the honor for me. And it's that. a good lesson to remind people as we start thinking about the next draft cycle. Always bet on traits when it comes to edge rushers, right? He's so athletic, so explosive. The way he tested at the Penn State Pro Day, bet on traits. The knock on him was, oh, he doesn't have a ton of production in the Big Ten, no sacks, whatever. Bet on traits at edge rusher. You're probably going to be happy you did. Definitely, Mark. And speaking of Odafe Owe, his Baltimore Ravens and Lamar Jackson take on Justin Herbert and the Chargers this Sunday. It is one of our two games of the week here, and we're going to take a deep dive into this game. And you mentioned Lamar Jackson at the top of the program. He has proved every single stereotype about him wrong this year. Oh, he can't play from behind. He has led two come from behind victories, one against Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. Oh, he can't throw from the pocket. He has made exceptional strides as a thrower. And Matt Waldman, I remember talking to Matt Waldman before the 2018 draft on this very program, and he said that Lamar Jackson had the best pocket presence out of any quarterback in that class, and Lamar has proven him right this year. How has Lamar Jackson taken that big next step forward as a passer so far this year? Take us uh, into the tape for that. Yeah, David. And I think it's important to sort of start where Matt did, right? The, the idea of him playing from the pocket, because I literally I'm holding up right now inside the pocket. It's the X's and O's book by Bobby Petrino, his college coach. And you can buy this. It's like 20 bucks on Amazon. And you will see the pro style offense that Lamar Jackson was running at Louisville. And people like myself and Matt Waldman and Derek Kloss and Deontay Lee and, and so many others were yelling prior to that draft. Look, he's a, he's a pocket passer. That's where he wants to be. But the things that he's improved upon David say in the past season or two that I'm seeing him do a lot more of one anticipation throws, right? Lamar's always sort of been up and down in that area. He was much more consistent at throwing receivers open at throwing receivers into and out of their break at anticipated windows as they come open against zone coverage. That's number one. Number two is his ability to manipulate defenders, both with his eyes and doing things like flashing the football pump fakes, shoulder pumps, things like that. You look at, for example, the touchdown to Brown, the deep shot on Monday night, it's a double move. He pumps ball. Okay, that's great. But then he gets his eyes back to the middle of the field to get that post safety to freeze between the hash marks and then makes that throw to the outside. That's advanced quarterback play. And for all the people that have questioned Lamar from the pocket, have questioned him as a pure passer and things like that, this is the kind of stuff that they said he wouldn't be able to do. Well, he's doing it now. Can we finally move beyond the like tired criticism of Lamar Jackson that he's just, you know, a running back playing quarterback? He's an elite quarterback right now. And he's doing elite quarterback things, subtle quarterback things. And as far as the pocket presence goes, you can see him on so many plays fight that urge because he's so athletic to bail the pocket, to click, to climb, to move around. Watch that touchdown, the, the critical one to Mark Andrews at the end of regulation, right? He was working through multiple reads, full field, left, middle, right, middle, left, and finally comes back and makes a great throw. So Lamar Jackson has made so many strides as a passer, and it's been a joy to watch. 
it has been a joy to watch and to see you and Matt and all those other guys you mentioned be proven correct in this case. And when you go back to Matt's evaluation, uh, one of the most common comparisons people made to Lamar Jackson, the predict process was, oh, Michael Vick 2.0, Michael Vick 2.0, Michael Vick 2.0. And while he does definitely share some athletic traits with Michael Vick, uh, Matt said, what about Steve Young? I think his full body of work now makes him more Steve Young 2.0 than Michael Vick 2.0, at least from a historical perspective. Don't, don't you think so? Absolutely, David. And, and you, look, Matt is brilliant and he, he's so good at comparisons because he's got such a wealth of knowledge about players at all positions, including quarterback. And when Matt makes a comparison, people need to pay attention. And I think the Steve Young comparison is apt. I mean, the Vic one was an easy one. Athletic quarterbacks, we get it. But the body of work, the things he's doing with his mind, the different ways he can beat you, the way he throws the football. Lamar Jackson is very much a Steve Young 2.0. He most certainly is. We are simpatico there, as I would tell my uh, good friend, Hal Bent, my usual compadre on this program. And last week against the Browns, you mentioned that Chargers-Browns game, easily the best game of the week, in my opinion. The Chargers defense was absolutely gashed, and I mean gashed on the ground for 230 yards. And in Baltimore's past two games, both the Broncos and Colts clearly sold out to stop the run, and Lamar obviously made them pay through the air. What would you anticipate Brandon Staley doing differently on Sunday in order to at least contain this seemingly unstoppable Baltimore offense? Yeah, I mean, that, that's going to be the sort of million-dollar question for this game because uh, as good as Brandon Staley is from a defensive standpoint, right, part of the reason he got the job is because, you know, he was part of that Vic Fangio staff in Chicago that – you know, figured out how to slow down these McVay, Shanahan type of systems. Well, that's a Stefanski offense he went up against last week, and they struggled. I mean, they gave up 531 total yards, 300 in the air, 230 on the ground. Nick Chubb looked fantastic. And now you're going up against one of the more complex and diverse run games you can see in the NFL today with all the stuff that Baltimore does, you know, gap power stuff, the zone stuff that they do, the, the way they use Lamar or, you know, counter bash and things like that where you get the quarterback involved in the run game. You know, I do think you're going to see a lot of sort of Brandon Staley is known for that too high look pre-snap and then spinning it, you know, trying to get you to run the football. That's kind of where Baltimore wants to be. So it wouldn't surprise me to see if you see more single high coverage pre-snap where they say, look, we're going to load up on the box. You know, we're going to bring that extra safety down to help against the run. You know, if you want to run against that look, fine. You know, but we're going to make you try to either run against a loaded box, try to put the ball in the air, now, look, Lamar Jackson, we know he can carve up single high coverage. We know he can throw the ball well. And so it's going to be fascinating to see how that plays out. But I think with where this offense, with where this, this Chargers defense is right now, where the Ravens want to be, Staley's probably going to get out of that too high stuff pre-snap, bring that safety down into the box, and try to stop the run that way. Yeah, he better be hoping he had better luck than uh, Vic Fangio, his uh... – mentor and Matt Eberflus did these past couple weeks definitely much easier said than done you could sell out to stop doing all you want but Lamar has the weapons to make you pay heck he could be getting Rashad Bateman back this week and adding him to that passing offense makes it even more lethal yeah I mean look this Baltimore team when I remember I was doing our show with Doug Farrar before that that Chiefs game back in week two and we got the word that look you know now you're going to get injuries to the left tackle spot you know, you're going to be playing without Marcus Peters. You've got all these injuries. People thought the Ravens were sort of done, right? People thought the Ravens were going to just collapse under the weight of these injuries. That hasn't been the case. And I think it starts with the man up front in, in John Harbaugh, who has 
really got the buy-in from his players and you could see the way his players react to him. You could see it in, in that game against the chiefs. You know, they trust Lamar Jackson in fourth down situations. They stay aggressive, similar to Brendan Saylor. We talked about earlier going forward on fourth downs, trust in their offense, trust in their leader, Lamar Jackson. And so the Ravens have been able to sort of keep things together. And that's been impressive to watch as well. It has indeed. And what other matchups are you looking for in this game? I mean, I, I think, look, you know, you, you look at when the Chargers have the football, you know, how are you going to handle Keenan Allen? You know, obviously there's a huge relationship that we're seeing play out right now between Justin Herbert and Keenan Allen. Those two seem to be on the same page, particularly when you get into those scramble throw situations, right? When, when Herbert has to sort of bail from the pocket, when he has to sort of create outside the pocket, his eyes go to Keenan Allen. Where's number 13? Fourth down situation. They had a critical fourth down situation early in that game. It was a fourth and two, I believe. He looked for Keenan Allen on an out route. There was a play where, look, the Cleveland Browns, they showed too high. They spun it to a one-cross look to try to take away those crossers, right? We know that they like to use Allen on crossers, Williams on crossers. They run that one cross. He's like, okay, now I got man coverage. I'll go to that man beater route, that out route to Keenan Allen. So how are they going to handle Keenan Allen? That's certainly something I'm wondering about when the Chargers have the football. And the other thing is, look, you know, we talked about it. What do you do with Lamar Jackson, you know? We talked about sort of what we expect them to do in terms of loading the box and things like that. Do you spy Lamar Jackson? Do you spy him on third and six situations? Or do you just play zone coverage against him on those third and six situations? Keep your cornerbacks or safeties with eyes on Lamar Jackson at all times. I'm always curious to see how defensive coordinators handle Lamar Jackson. Curious to see how the Chargers do it this weekend. Yes, and when the Chargers have the ball, I'm watching the matchup between Storm Norton, their right tackle, and I think the Ravens are going to put Odafe Owe against Storm Norton for most yeah. of the game. Uh, Odafe Owe is going to have to really, really, really win those matchups religiously in order for the Ravens to have a shot at uh, at least containing Justin Herbert. He's going to have to get a lot of hits on him in this game, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that's a great point because, look, Rashawn Slater at the other side has played – you know, absent, say, you know, a Jamar Chase, there's a case that Rashawn Slater is your offensive rookie of the year, right? The way he played against Miles Garrett last week, the way he's handled his business week in and week out, he's looked fantastic, obviously played well, you know, as the season has cut off. Um, I think he's allowed maybe one sack this year, maybe. It's And there are even reports in this in that game against the Browns where he was telling the backs, don't chip. I don't need your help. I don't need your help against this guy because the one sack he gave up, Eckler came in on a chip and he actually chipped Garrett into a spin move where he was able to get by Slater and get home for the sack. So when you get a rookie left tackle saying, I don't need help against Miles Garrett, that's somebody that's figured it out. You said it. And when the Ravens have the ball, I'm obviously looking at Derwin James on that Chargers defense. How does Brandon Saley use him this game? Does he use him to spy Lamar Jackson or does he make a little adjustment and use him as the guy to erase his favorite target in the passing game, Mark Andrews? Yeah, in thinking about it that way, David, I would more likely put James on Andrews. I mean, you you know what Lamar can do with his legs, but similar to what we were just talking about with Keenan Allen, you know, when Lamar is looking for, to downfield, he's often looking at Andrews first. Yes, he's made some big throws to Holly Brown. Yes, you know, if you get Bateman back, he's going to be looking for him too. Andrews is their third and seven guy. Andrews is the guy they're going to look to in a big spot. It was Andrews who he looked to when he needed that touchdown late in regulation. And so you take your best guy, David Andrews, you put, Derwin James, you put him on Andrews. You try to erase him in the passing game. Very, very, very interesting point there, Mark. It'll be fascinating to see exactly how Brandon Staley utilizes arguably his best defensive player this Sunday. And who do you like in this game? It's hard. I 
you know, I, I look at the way the Chargers are playing right now, and they're playing so well. They're playing great on both sides of the football, but you're just coming off, you know, a, a tough game. Now you're going to come east. I like Baltimore at home. I, I think Baltimore, they seem to be, and I wrote this a couple of weeks ago, David, they almost have the makings of that team of destiny, right? Because you're counting them out because they're injured, they're banged up, they're going into a tough game against the Chiefs. They have the two double-digit comebacks to win that game. You have the win against Detroit on the road with that, you know, 66-yard field goal that hits the crossbar. It's just – it's feeling like Baltimore, you know, now you get the 25-9 to nine comeback. It's feeling like there's something magical about Baltimore this year. So I'm going to go with the Ravens. This game is very hard to pick. It's literally a flip a coin for me. But the reason I'm going to differ with you and pick the Chargers here – is because of a, a couple things. And I don't mean to underestimate the Ravens. I think they're going to be in it until the very end. And I mean the end of January. I literally mean it. I think that the AFC could easily come down to the Ravens and the Chargers. And yep. this is an easily an AFC championship preview here. And the thing that makes me want to pick the Chargers here is that the Ravens struggled against a far inferior opponent in the Colts. And now they face Justin Herbert. And Justin Herbert and that Chargers offense is that kind of unit that's going to make them miss Marcus Peters a lot. Yeah. Uh, I love Marlon Humphrey. He's a great corner, but you need multiple corners to shut down an elite passing attack like the Chargers. And the Ravens, uh, they need at least three corners, including two boundary corners, to lock down those receivers so Wink Mardale could blitz with reckless abandon. It's going to be very very hard to do and blitzing Justin Herbert that is almost like suicide there I say yeah. and Herbert yeah. will make you pay every single time if you blitz him and and not just that Austin Eckler he's having an Alvin Kamara-esque season in this Joe yeah. Lombardi offense and they struggled against Jonathan Taylor of all people catching balls out of the backfield and the Ravens are at a disadvantage because they're Coming off a Monday night game, it gives them one less day prepared. That's what has me narrowly pick the Chargers in this game. So I'm going yeah. for the Chargers, but as I said, it's a coin flip, very hard to pick. Wouldn't be surprised or shocked either way. And the second game of the week, I want to preview in depth, the Arizona Cardinals, the lone unbeaten team in the National Football League, traveling to Cleveland to take on the Browns. And we talked about Lamar Jackson's development as a passer, but I watch some of your uh, film segments every week, and uh, Kyler Murray has absolutely grown as a passer this year. Explain to our listeners how you think Kyler Murray has made those strides as a passer. It's in that realm of anticipation, David. When you see, and this is, you know, I think anticipation and manipulation are the two sort of traits that you look at that can sometimes separate the elite quarterbacks from the very good quarterbacks. The ability, when you're talking about manipulation, to freeze defenders, to move defenders out of position, to, to move a guy with your eyes or a pump fake. And, and Murray's had that. But now he's adding the anticipation part to it, the anticipation on, on downfield throws, the anticipation attack in the middle of the field, the anticipation from the pocket. You know, they're going to miss Max Williams, um, but he had some throws to Max Williams on vertical stuff, on in-breaking routes, some throws obviously to DeAndre Hopkins, some of that, you know, routes attack in the middle of the field where you've got to layer in throws amongst second, third level defenders. That's been a huge area of improvement for Kyler Murray. We all know what he can do running around. We all know what he can do outside of the pocket. We know what he can do in those sort of splash play moments, but to hand in the pocket, make an anticipation throw into a secondary window. That's the elite stuff that Murray's added to his realm and to his bag of tricks. And so that for me, David, when we're watching Kyler Murray, when I get to sit down, study Kyler Murray each week, that's the stuff I'm so excited to see from 
Thank you very much for that, Mark. And although the Cardinals are 5-0, and the 49ers gave them absolutely everything, and I mean everything they could possibly handle last week. Uh, the 49ers uh, held Kyler Murray below 250 yards passing and only 17 points. Did the 49ers provide a basic blueprint on how to stop or at least significantly slow down Kyler in this high-powered Cardinals passing attack? And if so, how do you expect the Browns to replicate it this week? Well, I mean, the Browns have the ability to do a couple of things defensively. They have the ability with Jeremiah Wilson-Kamara, who I absolutely loved coming out of Notre Dame, to use him as sort of that hybrid type player. Like, put him where you want. You can stack him as a stack linebacker help him stop the run he's so quick sideline to sideline you wonder about you know how the Cardinals are going to try to replicate what they lost with Mac, Max Williams and his injury you know JOK is somebody that can disrupt pockets as a pass rusher he, he can stop the run you know they're going to do some different things in the run game the Cardinals always do they're going to find ways to involve Kyler Murray in the run game but JOK is fascinating to watch obviously the guys on the back end you know, you look at the additions that they made with Johnson, they get Grant Delpit back. So I really like the Browns defense in terms of what the 49ers did. You know, you saw a lot of different muddied looks pre-snap, a lot of confusion, a lot of, you know, those, those mug looks pre-snap where you're trying to really sort of confuse the quarterback, confuse the offensive line, make it seem like they don't know who's coming or who's going, you know, who's dropping, who's really coming after the quarterback. I'd expect Cleveland, they've done some of those mug looks already this season. I'd expect Cleveland to continue that, you know, given what they, the, the 49ers were able to do, you know, you look at some of the plays in this game you see, look, you know, they'll show pressure, drop to some basic zone coverage, do some cover four, some quarters type stuff. They'll show cover four, some off stuff, and then they'll roll into blitzes. So they've really sort of tried to mix things up defensively. I think that's what the Browns will try to emulate on Sunday. Yes. And what other key matchups are you looking for in this game from an X and O's perspective, player on player? Well, I mean, look, how do you handle DeAndre Hopkins, right? How do you handle DeAndre Hopkins? Because, you know, it's hard for me to pick a receiver in this league, a receiver in this game that, you know, is is somebody that you need a, a, to make a catch on a slant route on, like, say, third and five, third and six. Hopkins might be my guy because of his hand strength, his ability at the catch point. You know, when you look at this Cleveland defense, right, you know, is it going to be a situation where you just take Denzel Ward and say, look, you're on 10, wherever he goes, like that's where you're going. And that's probably what we're going to see. We're going to see Ward versus Hopkins. So that's going to be fascinating to watch. I want to see the, the battle up front, right? In both trenches. You know, this is a very good Cleveland Browns offensive line, right? Now you got, obviously, J.J. Watt. Who's playing extremely well from the interior? They're doing some things up front where they can get pressure on passers. I want to see that matchup, that Browns offensive line versus that defensive line from from the Arizona Cardinals. I also want to see, look, Miles Garrett, like he's playing at an extremely high level. Malik McDowell is playing at a very high level. So you get that Cleveland defensive front. How do those guys, Rodney Hudson? I, I know he's a bit dinged right now. But if he can go, Malik McDowell versus Ronnie Hudson will be huge to watch as well. And obviously, the rest of the offensive line against Miles Garrett, Jadavion Clowney, Malik McDowell, that will be the trench game on both sides of the ball when both teams are on offense. It's going to be huge on Sunday. Yeah, it'll probably be the deciding factor in this game. And speaking of that trench game, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was reported yesterday that Chandler Jones tested positive for COVID-19 and was placed on the reserve COVID-19 list. And if he can't play in this game, that could be a game changer because now the Browns can use that elite. And I mean, elite interior of their offensive line with JC Treader at center, Wyatt Teller and Joel Batonio at guard to triple team JJ Watt and dare one of the Cardinals, other defensive linemen, pass rushers to 
to, to beat their tackles. That is going to be far more easier said than done for the Cardinals and a big potential disadvantage for them if uh, Chandler Jones is uh, unable to heal up in time for Sunday. Yeah, you're exactly right. He tested positive, and now we wait sort of the COVID protocols, right, because you get the positive test. If, if he's vaccinated, it's, I guess, two negative tests in 24 hours. If he's not vaccinated, it's a, a seven- to ten-day quarantine period. And so, you know, if he's vaccinated, I don't know his vaccination status, but that will be huge if he is out because, like you said, if he's out, you know, you have the ability to sort of double or even, like you said, triple team J.J. Watt in the middle. You wonder, okay, well, if he's out, do they use Xavier Collins and drop him onto the edge? He did some of that stuff while he was in Tulsa, right? He had the ability to be an edge rusher. Isaiah Simmons, you can put him on the edge at times as well. Use him. Use both those guys. Blitz both those guys. You'll have to try to manufacture pressure in other ways if Chandler Jones can't go and they can just sort of double J.J. Watt in the middle. That sometimes leaves you, you know, hurting on the back end, right? Because now you're playing more man coverage stuff that gives Baker Mayfield the opportunity to hit on some throws in the downfield passing game against single coverage. Very good point. And who do you think comes away with the win Sunday afternoon in Cleveland? You know, I, I, I am a believer in the Arizona Cardinals, but I get this sense right now, given everything in and around Cleveland, there's an us against the world thing going on right now because there have been a lot of questions about Baker Mayfield in the past couple of weeks. You lose that heartbreaking game to the Los Angeles Chargers. Now you get a chance to come home. I think Cleveland comes away with this one. And it, it, Arizona might be the better team. But I think Cleveland, after being battle-tested last week, we know Baker Mayfield. He doesn't want to beat you. He wants to end you. He wants to destroy you. Something tells me that the Browns win this one. That is our simpatico alert. We are in agreement here. There it is. I like the Cleveland Browns in this game for the exact same reasons you said. I am sold on the Arizona Cardinals. I think they're going to be a Super Bowl contending team for a long time with Kyler Murray at quarterback, but the Browns are coming in with far more urgency in this game because it is going to be a very tight race for those uh, last couple wildcard spots uh, in the AFC. And this game could go down as a pivotal game in the Browns season. The Browns have far more to lose in this game than the Cardinals. They're going to play like it. It's going to be close, but I like the Cleveland Browns as well. And now let's pick all the rest of these week six games, starting with tonight where Tom Brady and the Bucks travel to Philadelphia to take on Jalen Hurts and the Eagles. I like the Bucks in this game. However, given the fact that Tampa is absolutely decimated, and I mean decimated with injuries on the defensive side of the ball, I think the Eagles actually cover the spread. I'm with you, David. I'm exactly with you. I think the Eagles cover in this game. Tampa Bay finds a win. Eagles, interestingly enough, are, are 6-0 on Thursday nights, and so that's something to keep in mind. Tom Brady is banged up. I still think the Buccaneers have enough to win this game, but I think the Eagles cover. We're simpatico there as well. And on Sunday morning from London, the Dolphins, and they're expected to have Tua Tungavoiloa back in the lineup, take on Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars. This is like literally a pick'em game, isn't it? <laughs> it is a pick'em game. I mean, for me, I'm going to roll with Miami. I, I just think Miami's the more talented team, but they need to start winning some games. You're getting the sense that this is a situation in Miami. Two has been hurt in and out of the lineup. Guys that are seemingly unhappy right now. They need to win this game because if they don't, this is a situation that could spin out of control. Yeah, I like the Dolphins for that reason in part as well. And on Sunday afternoon in Indianapolis, the Colts off their heartbreaking loss to the Ravens where they did almost everything, and I mean everything right, to win that game, host the Houston Texans. Easily a get-well game for the Colts. I'm taking the Colts. This is my lock of the week, actually. Colts, lock it in over the Texans, get their second win of the season. Too talented not to win this game. 
Yeah, I'm with you, David. Indianapolis, much too talented. Obviously, look, they, they gave the Ravens everything they had. Tough loss for them. This is a Texans team that, yeah, Davis Mills made some nice throws against the New England Patriots, but when you look at the rosters, Indianapolis far more talented. I expect Indy to win this one. My Chicago Bears, three games into the Justin Fields era, coming off an impressive road win over the Las Vegas Raiders on the strength of the defense and the run game host Aaron Rodgers and the Packers coming off a very hard fought win against the Cincinnati Bengals. The oldest rivalry in the NFL can't ask for anything better. I think this game is going to be a very, very close game. I want to pick the Bears. I really do. But I just don't think they're quite ready yet to defeat a team like the Packers. I'm taking the Packers, but the Bears covered the four and a half point spread. Packers 27, Bears 24. Yeah, that sounds about right, David. Divisional games are always tough. Rivalry games are always tough. These games tend to be closer than people expect. I think, look, Justin Fields has made strides already, but they're just not there yet. You know, maybe this time next year, this is a game that we can expect the Chicago Bears to compete in and perhaps win. But right now I'm taking the Packers. Yeah, I am too. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens to Matt Nagy after this season. Uh, He did the right thing, but word has it, the front office pressured him to do it and rightfully so, but hopefully uh, Justin Fields will be in a far more better situation, regardless of how this season goes next year. And the Detroit lions after that absolutely heartbreaking loss to the Vikings, where they just fought so hard to come back in the final seconds, literally, They host Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals coming off a heartbreaking loss uh, to the uh, Green Bay Packers. The Lions, uh, Dan Campbell has these guys playing very, very tough football, but the loss of Frank Ragnar for the season hurts, especially going up against an underrated Bengals defensive line led by Larry Ogajobi in the middle. Uh, He's going to be a Jared Goff's face all day long, and Joe Burrow is going to make enough plays to win this game. I like the Bengals. I'm actually going to take the Lions here, David. And and part of it is because of Dan Campbell. I think this is a team that, like you said, they're playing hard for them. You've got these heartbreaking losses, right? The heartbreaking loss last week, obviously. The heartbreaking loss a couple weeks ago to the Detroit Lions. They're pulling for this. I mean, the Ravens, excuse me. Yeah, they're they're playing their hearts out for Dan Campbell. They're going to win one of these tough games. And I think it's going to be this week. It's going to be a close game. They're finally going to get that win. They're still probably going to finish, you know, four and 13. But I think every head coach, when they get out of playing the lines, they're going to be right when and they're going to be honest when they say that team gave us everything they had. That's a well-coached team. Indeed. And the Minnesota Vikings, after barely surviving the Lions, traveling to Carolina to take on the Panthers, who've had a rough couple of weeks after starting 3-0. and uh, This game is a pretty tough one to pick. I expect a low-scoring defensive battle in this game. I expect... Uh, the Panthers uh, to do everything they can to slow down and minimize what Kirk Cousins in that passing game uh, in Minnesota could do. Heck, the Vikings struggled against the Lions. I fully expect them to struggle big time against this Panthers defense. But in the end, I think it comes down to the quarterbacks. Who do you trust more to make bigger plays? I, unfortunately, for the Panthers' sake, trust Kirk Cousins to make the bigger plays. I like the Vikings in a close, low-scoring game. As do I. And I think, David, you're exactly right. When it comes down to it in this matchup, you look at the two quarterbacks, Kirk Cousins is still playing well. Sam Darnold has really come back to earth after the the hot start that he had when they started 3-0 and he looked like he had finally figured it out, having gotten away from Adam Gase. And so I think you're right, low scoring affair, one of those 17-14 rock fights, but I think Minnesota wins this one. The Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes and that god-awful, and I mean god-awful defense traveling to Washington to take on the Washington football team and that very disappointing 
defense. Oh my God, we had such high hopes for the Washington defense heading the season. They're one of the worst units in the league through five weeks. And it's hard to see it getting better against Mahomes and the Chiefs. Taylor Heineke and Terry McLaurin and Antonio Goodson will make more than their fair share of big plays in this game. But Patrick Mahomes does far more than them. Chiefs win 35 to 24. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a get-right opportunity for both that Chiefs offense and defense, right? The offense has still been playing well, but that defense has a ton of questions right now. Obviously, we saw what Buffalo was able to do to them last week. Now you get Taylor Heineke. Certainly, Washington has weapons around the quarterback position. Heineke has not been playing well the past couple of weeks. He's not been playing consistently the past couple of weeks. I think the defense makes enough plays to get some stops. I think the Chiefs offense obviously scores points against the Washington defense, which, like you said, has been very disappointing. So I like the Chiefs in this one. The Los Angeles Rams traveling to East Rutherford to take on the Giants. And although I do like the Rams in this game, this isn't necessarily a gimme because Daniel Jones has really made some strides this year. And uh, yeah, Saquon Barkley's not going to be playing, but Devontae Booker has been playing very well for them. And Kadarius Toney is going to be an absolute headache for that Rams secondary. Oh my goodness. He just exploded last week. And I fully expect him to continue that this week. But then again, it's not going to be enough. Rams uh, coming off a longer week uh, and a couple of days ex- of extra rest. And uh, Matthew Stafford uh, getting a couple more days to get that finger right and complete more of those uh, passes that he airmailed last week. I think the Rams, uh, the Giants keep it competitive for about three quarters, but Rams pull away in the end. Rams 31, Giants 17. That sounds about right, David. I like the Rams in this one as well. I mean, Daniel Jones has made some strides as a passer, but this is a, a, an offense that's banged up. Tony looked great. Um, but you get Barkley banged up now. It's a defense that has underwhelmed. I expected to see more from this defense. That unit has struggled. It's not going to get any easier going up against Matthew Stafford, going up against some of those four-by-one looks that, that Sean McVay has been dialing up this year. So I like the Rams in this one. The game I'm going to be attending this Sunday and watching from the front row, spoiler alert, the Las Vegas Raiders taking on the Denver Broncos in an AFC West clash of two teams that started off 3-0 would have struggled mightily these past couple of weeks. And the Raiders, I don't think they're necessarily going to be distracted by the Gruden hoopla. Teddy Bridgewater said himself that he doesn't expect it because he knows Derek Carr well. They both came to the league together, became good friends during the draft process in 2014. He expects Derek Carr to keep that team together. This game is, it should be a very, very, very close game. Uh, there's a side of me that wants to have faith in the Broncos, but I do not trust Vic Fangio at this moment. I am almost out on Vic Fangio. That's how much I want him gone. That It might be my fandom bias, but I'm just letting it out here on this program for now. I just don't trust Vic Fangio to come up with the right plan. Uh, it's going to be a close game, but Derek Carr and that offense, way too many weapons. I like the Las Vegas Raiders, 20 Broncos, 17. Yeah, I like the Raiders in this one as well, David. I think, that, you know, all the off-field stuff aside, this could be sort of that pull-together moment for that locker room. This could be that sort of you know unifying force for that locker room to rally behind the leaders, put together a statement performance. That that Raiders offense has a ton of weapons. I like what they've done to the defensive side of the ball as well. Max Crosby's playing well, so I like the Raiders in this one. Yes, and the Dallas Cowboys traveling to Foxborough to take on your Patriots. I like Dak and the Cowboys to pull this one out, given how well they're playing on both sides of the ball, actually. But knowing Bill Belichick, I think the Patriots keep it close to cover the spread. Yeah, Patriots will keep this one close, but I look at both sides of the football, right? You look at what Dallas has done on the defensive side of the ball. Trayvon Diggs has been a revelation this year, six interceptions. 
Yes, he gives up some separation at times, but he has the ability to close, recover, and make plays at the catch point. That might not be the best sort of match for Mac Jones where he is right now as a passer. And then you look at that Dallas offense. Look, Davis Mills looked great against this Patriots defense a week ago. Now you get Dak Prescott, Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb. The tight ends, Jarwin and Schultz are playing well, Pollard and Elliott in the backfield. I think Dallas simply has too much for the Patriots right now. The Seattle Seahawks and Geno Smith travel to Pittsburgh on Sunday night to take on the Steelers. And before we analyze this game, uh, do you think this is Russell Wilson's final year as a Seahawk? It kind of seems that way, David, right? Like he was unhappy before the year started. You know, Pete Carroll has been in Seattle for a long time. This is a parent that has been together for a long time. You know, things end. I'm a Patriots guy. I can tell you things end. You know, marriages between coach and quarterback end. And it does feel like, look, it's sad if it ends this way with an injury and, and who knows how the future plays out with his recovery from this. But it does seem like this could be the end of, of Russell Wilson's time in Seattle. Yes, and I also think the Seahawks should highly consider parting ways with either John Schneider or Pete Carroll or both after this season, especially that Jamal Adams trade. It's easily looking right. like one of the dumbest trades in modern NFL history. Not great. Not great. Yes, and on to this game for a moment. Uh, I think uh, the weakness of the Seahawks roster is going to be exposed big time with Russell Wilson out of the lineup. And yes, uh, the Steelers, uh, Ben Roethlisberger might be on his last legs, but he showed last week against the Broncos and in flashes before that game, actually, that he still has uh, enough juice for, for one more season. And I think uh, Ben Roethlisberger, that Steelers pass, he absolutely carve up that C Seahawks secondary, especially with Najee Harris coming out of the backfield. I like the Steelers in this one, 23 to 10. Yeah, I like to see in this one as well, David. I think you're right there. Their inconsistency on the defensive side of the football with some of their zone match, their man match stuff. You know, it's, it's all, a lot of it's, you know, single high rooted, but teams have found ways to carve it up. Minnesota a couple of weeks ago, you know, obviously Stafford had some success against it. Now you're getting Ben Roethlisberger. And while Ben's probably in, you know, on the back nine of his career, maybe his last season as well, he still has the ability to make some throws downfield in the passing game. With touch, with 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 touch and timing and and placement, not so much velocity anymore. But I do like this the the Pittsburgh Steelers in this one. And on Monday night, the Buffalo Bills and I apologize to them for picking the Chiefs to beat them last week. Traveling to Music City to take on the Titans and barring a miracle Superman performance by Derrick Henry, I do not see the Titans winning this game. And plus, that Tennessee Titans defense is just god awful. I think the Bills passing tap absolutely carves them up. And this Bills defense, man, they showed last week they're for real. If they could slow down Patrick Holmes of the Chiefs, they could definitely slow down uh, Ryan Tannehill and the Titans. I like the Bills this one, and I don't think it's going to be particularly close. Bills uh, 30, Titans 17. Not, yeah, I, I love the Bills on this one. The Bills right now look like the most complete team in football with what they can do on the offensive side of the ball, the way they're getting Dawson Knox involved. That was the big question mark, right? Are the Bills going to draft a tight end? Are they going to sign a tight end? Are they going to trade for a tight end? Dawson Knox is looking great. You've obviously got Sanders. You've got Stephon Diggs. Like, you've got so many weapons on the offensive side of the ball. Now on defense, right? Gregory Rousseau has looked fantastic. His hand placement and usage up front. They can they can get pressure with four, drop seven into coverage. They can stop the run. They'll need they'll be needed to stop the run with, with Derrick Henry, of course. But they look like a complete team. I love Buffalo on this one. And now it's on to our bold predictions segment. And I will go first here. My bold prediction for this week: the Chargers win another super high scoring game with Justin Herbert throwing for five hundred yards and scoring six total touchdowns, four of them passing, 
two of them running. That's my bold prediction for week six. Do you have a bold prediction for week six, Mark? My bold prediction for week six is this. Tom Brady, even with a banned-up thumb, is going to come out and throw three touchdown passes on Thursday night. The Eagles will keep it close. Like we said, I think the Eagles will be able to do some things on the defensive, on the offensive side of the ball themselves. I think Jalen Hurts is going to have a solid night. They're going to put the ball in his hands a lot, but I think Tom Brady comes out. Maybe that's not a bold prediction, but with a banned-up thumb, short week, it might be a pretty bold one. He's going to have a good night. He is Mark Schofield, ladies and gentlemen. The USA Today Touchdown Wire. Follow him on Twitter at Mark Schofield. And Mark, last but not least, we conclude our shows previewing NFL games with a challenge flag. What is your challenge flag for week six? My challenge flag is this. I want to see this Kansas City Chiefs defense step up, right? Because there are a lot of people that thought, look, you know, this Chiefs defense, they've got some pieces now. They've got Chris Jones. They've got Tyron Matthew. They've got, the, you know, some of these other players around them, Willie Gay. They could be a good unit. They've been awful this year. Now you've got an opportunity for that get-right game. You've got an opportunity to sort of figure things out against Taylor Heineke. Can you do it? Can you step up and show that, look, we know our offense is great. That's how we're going to win games. But when we need to get a stop in December and January, we can do it. So that's my challenge. My challenge flag goes to Sam Darnold and the Carolina Panthers. I am a big believer in the direction of this franchise long-term. I think Matt Rule is a fantastic coach. I think David Tepper is an owner that knows what he's doing. He is a hands-off owner. I'm not going to meddle in any football decisions. Let Matt Rule run the culture, establish the culture, run the team completely. I really like what the Panthers are doing for the most part. But Sam Darnold, you are just the... (laughs) elephant in the room right now because the Panthers you could have had Justin Fields too it's not just the Broncos that passed on Justin Fields the Panthers passed on him too and I think they could have easily used a Justin Fields or a Mac Jones as well Sam Darnold your critics are piling on again your doubters are as high as ever do something and prove us wrong lead your team to victory this Sunday that is my challenge flag for the week and that is it for today here on Sports Crunch but Hal Bent returns same time next week to recap week 6 preview week 7 and discuss all the latest news and notes from around the National Football League so stay tuned meanwhile once again follow Mark on Twitter at Mark Schofield and catch his work at the USA Today Touchdown Wire you can also follow me on Twitter at dcrom 59 and on Instagram at Sports Crunch with dcrom and remember that is Crunch with a K also check out the new and improved Sports Crunch website www.sports sportscrunch.com for mark schofield this is david cromwell saying so long stay awesome stay safe stay sane and if you haven't done so yet please get your covid19 vaccine i promise you i promise you that it will literally literally help save your life but that said if you do not want a vaccine just please do whatever is required to protect yourself and your friends take care cat skins and stay cool <laughs>